Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Whitetail Theories podcast. And today on the mic, we got Rudy Nunez from Tacticam joining us to kind of dive down a bunch of different rabbit holes. We're going to discuss Rudy's background and how he got into the hunting industry, Tacticam products, uh, the whole gamut. So thank you, Rudy, for joining the podcast. Hey, Doran, thank you for having me and really happy to be here with the Service Side Nation and kind of talking about not just the product, but how to apply them and certain hunting theories. I, like you said, a couple of rabbit holes are to come. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the way that I like to kick off the podcast, just as an icebreaker and get rolling is, uh, kind of background information. So do you want to kind of tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, how you grew up, maybe your military stint, that whole deal. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I meet a lot of people along the way. And I think one of the most interesting things that people learn about me is that I, I haven't been hunting my whole life. Um, I'm what, I'm what my friend Johnny Mac would call a, an, an adult onset hunter. And, um, I think I was 29 or 30 years old before I actually picked up my first bow and, uh, hit my first big game woods. And that was on the East coast in Maryland. Um, not to get too far ahead of that story, but, um, but I, I did a very, um, I did eight years in the military. Um, my travels, uh, led me to North Carolina, Maryland. I met a lot of friends up and down the East and Southern coast and, um, people that were in the right place at the right time to introduce me to outdoorsing, not just outdoorsing. I had, I had been a fisherman growing up, um, camping and stuff like that, but to the big game side of it. And I can tell you that when I put the bow in my hand, the first time, that whole summer from spring to summer, I was on the shooting. I mean, I was just obsessed. I couldn't stop shooting. You know, I was doing 50 arrows a couple times a week, it seemed, or more. And then <clears throat> I was, I didn't have a mentor or a coach outside of the guys that I'd met down in Virginia who we would talk periodically. But, you know, I was watching a lot of YouTube content. This was kind of early in, this is 2011. So a lot of producers were starting to put out some really good content. And um, basically a lot of what I learned was all self-taught. And um, that first September opening day in Maryland, went out and shot my first doe. And and from there, it's been the slippery, one of the most slippery slopes I've been on. <laughs> so kind of uh, backtracking here a little bit. When, yep. when you first got into hunting uh, and you being self-taught, were there certain things that you kind of struggled with? And then to piggyback off of that topic, it seems like more and more people are kind of getting into the sport of hunting the same way that you did, where they're getting into it later in life for one reason or the other. And they don't really have that traditional, my father did it, my grandfather did it, uh, that type of background. So did you like like was it a steep learning curve for you or because of your military background did you cling on to it pretty quick i don't know if it was because of the military background it, i already had an outdoors background so i already had a passion for it and i've done some bird hunting in the past but i think i felt a sense of urgency because when i really stopped and reflected on like what hunting is what it means to people all over the world you know it's and then the season structure, right? You only get a few months or a few weeks in some cases out of the year to take advantage of this, this passion that we love. I kept thinking, man, you know, I how many really excellent or good years do you have in a lifetime? And I'm already 
you know, 15 years late or, or more by some people's standards. So I just, I made it a point to really absorb a lot of information, especially when I would attend, um, various functions. I would go to, you know, the Bass Pro Cabela's or my local shooting shop, just really took in what the guys that have had that experience that you just mentioned, what they say, what the, you know, you're not going to learn overnight, but, uh, you really take that stuff to heart and apply it. You know, you can, you can be successful pretty quick. Um, and then it was always in my mind, never to get too comfortable. Um, always keep pushing the envelope. Um, always keep driving myself a little bit harder, getting out to the woods a little bit earlier, you know, taking the times where I wasn't successful and saying, trying to break it down like an after action review. How did this go wrong? What did I do wrong? And how can I get better? And that's something that sticks with me today, you know, cause I've had a lot of success in my, I guess it would be 10 years now, big game hunting. Um, but I've also learned some hard lessons too. And, um, and I, that would be my advice to anybody out there. I, don't get too, I think when people start in this industry or start out hunting, it's really easy to be very involved and interested and excited about it. And then you, you, if you don't meet that success early to say, ah, you know what, this wasn't for me, stick it out until you finally get that success and you, and your hard work pays off because I mean, just nothing feels better than that. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's funny, I, I think in a very similar manner as you, uh, as far as like, all right, if something went wrong, why did it go wrong? How did it go wrong? And how could I prevent that from happening again? Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, so when you were going and kind of picking up information from various people in your experiences, how did you go about deciphering what was BS and what was actually good information? Because I think that's one of the issues now that a lot of people run into is like everybody's got an opinion, right? But not all those opinions are correct. You know, and it's hard to say like even bad information, it's hard to decipher if it's BS or somebody just, you know, maybe they've had success in the past and this is what they believe. Sure. Um. I don't think when you're that early in it, you, I don't think it, at the time you can decipher that, right? You, you'll talk to people, they'll give you information down the road. You'll come to say, you know, that wasn't very good information at the time. And you probably learned that because you tried to implement it and it didn't work or you tried to implement it or you found a new way to do something. And um, I can tell you that, um, that through trial and error, um, you know, I kind of, it's just like learning any other craft or trade, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna hone your skill and you're gonna, um, you know, get sharper as you go along. But a lot of times it's hard to determine. Um, I guess you, what you could do is you can look at who you're talking to or who you're watching on social media or following on TV, whatever route you decided to go or what books you're reading. Um, you know, who has that proven track record? And that's hard to do when you're at the bow shop and you're, you're chewing the fat with guys, you know, because we all know there's a lot of tall, tall tales that, that get, uh, that get, uh, told, you know, over a beer or around the, uh, around the cash register. But, um, that's a very hard one. That was a really good question by you because all I can say is that only through the years did I finally start to cipher out like, you know, pinpoint 
what disciplines or what theories I want to follow. And it's still changing to this day because, you know, there, there's just new people coming out new, I mean, information, just like your guys's website is so plentiful. And, um, to me, it's like the only wrong way to do it is just to not be out there. You know, if you get a bad piece of information, you go out and try it. You probably learn something in the end. It, it really doesn't matter what you were told. Yeah, no, I hundred percent or agree with you. And you kind of mentioned it earlier too, is like not pigeon your, not pigeonholing yourself into a particular set of skills. And this is what I always try to tell um, anybody that I talk to that I'm trying to help out is constantly be trying to evolve your tactics. If, if you're a good, let's say spot and stalk hunter, all right, well, maybe you need to work on ambushing or some other type of facet, tree stand hunting, something like that. Um, if if you're a private land hunter and, and you got that pretty much on lockdown, why not switch over to public land and see what kind of skill sets you can pull from that to improve your overall hunting skill set. And it sounds like that's what you really developed early uh, as a hunter, correct, Rudy? Yeah, I, I did. And, you know, the first couple years that I hunted, I, I had some great success. The first two and a half years, I think I harvested 12 deer. Now that was in various states. Some states had, like for instance, Montgomery County, Maryland, there's no, there's no doe limit. You know, you can shoot unlimited does. And I don't think I bought beef for two years in a row. Wow. That's awesome. But, um, <laughs> it was, it was great. Um, but you know, I, I started as in the tree stand that was, it was all archery, all tree stand, maybe some ground blind stuff. And this was before I started using game cameras. Um, so essentially that learning curve that you that we were just talking about in a very short time, I went from just throwing my stand up or climbing a tree that looked like a good spot to be in and not seeing deer to finally getting out and starting to read the sign, read the terrain, read the features, read the resources. And I can't tell you that I shot giant deer, but my, I would say my success to the trips that I was going out, start my ratio started to improve because I was starting to learn those things, how to read rub lines and scrapes. And I'm still a little shaky on moon phases, to be honest with you, because I, I think the deer move when the deer want to move, but um, you know, I, I, there, there were things like that, that made my experiences a whole lot better and my success rate a whole lot higher, especially if I had, if I was going to a new state and didn't have the opportunity back then, I don't, you know, e-scouting really wasn't a big thing back then. You can look at a map, I guess. Um, but you have a very short amount of time to get into an area, read the sign, figure out where you want to hunt, play the wind and be successful. You know, and I think one of the resources that's the most limited for your average American, your average hunter and huntress out there is time, right? Yeah. Money. Sure. But you know, you only get a, you only get a short amount of time to, to take care of business and you want to make sure that when you're out there, you know, you're the most effective that you can be. 100% agree with you. Yep. 100% agree with you. All right. So we're talking about success here a little bit. Now, let's switch over to kind of struggles and trials and tribulations. So as as an early hunter in the in the process, what did you struggle with? And then to where you're at now, where are you at as far as like what you're struggling with? Like, let's kind of talk about that journey. That's a really good question too. Um, 
you know, back then I had a lot of time. I was, I was practicing a lot. I was hunting a lot. I would say the first couple of years, I, I didn't have a lot of struggles to speak of outside of your normal, your normal challenges. I can tell you now when I made the bridge over to like Western hunting, um, you know, elk hunting right now is that's my favorite thing in the world to do. I killed my first bull in 2017 archery and I've been hunting at least once or twice every year since then. And I have yet to connect again, not without opportunities, but I've learned some hard lessons along the way about hunting elk in big country or in thick country, you know, different States that I've been Utah, Arizona. So specific, let me, let me turn the question on you. What, where are you at with that Torin from when you started to now? I'm interested to know. So, uh, kind of, to put it in a caught me on the spot here. So <laughs> starting out, I think as, uh, in my archery journey, let's just, let's just stick with bow hunting. Uh, I think what I was really doing was just trying to get kills under my belt. That's what I started out with. So what I struggled with one was getting deer within range. And I think that a lot of that was field craft and understanding how to read sign and then understanding how to play the wind, that kind of stuff to set myself up for the best possible situation so that I would get a shot within bow range. And then right. as I started developing those skills, I had more and more interactions, but what really I think put me over the edge was pretty much since I started hunting and I've always kind of had this mindset, I think it comes from my science background is what could I have done better? What would I change? And sure. what we talked about earlier, and now I've grown to a, a point where I'll target a, a specific buck. I'll, I'll target a specific age class of animals. Um, I like going into places in big public land and hunting spots that I've never been to and just trying to be successful and that kind of stuff. And, and slowly just raising the bar for myself as a hunter, when I find consistent success at one point. Right. You know, and, and that, so for me starting so late in life, you know, um, there's this different stages of hunting, you know, um, quality of hunt and I can't recite them right now off the top of my mind, but you know, I feel myself kind of migrating towards that too, looking for certain age class deer, um, you know, instead of taking up uh, maybe a few years ago, I would have shot a fork, but now, you know, I want to make sure that we have three, you know, it's a branch handler animal or three on one side, at least something like that. So I feel myself too, also migrating towards, you know, want, you know, really one appreciating the quality and the time that I'm out there, but also, um, trying to challenge myself just to do a little bit better than I did last year, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, for sure. Like I I've in the past, let's just say seven to eight years of my hunting career, if you want to call it that, uh, eight years ago, I was, I was trying to target a specific size of deer. Now I'm trying to target, uh, I shouldn't say just now, but like in the last three years, I've been trying to target a specific age or a specific buck. And within the last two years, a lot of it is just like potentially just looking at a map, going in blind and doing Eastern backpack hunts. Uh, right. And that's really 
been kind of like what I've really been addicted to is like as an, as an Easterner, right. And having limited time, like you said, that's the most valuable thing as people, Americans, whatever, that's the biggest limiting factor. If I can get that same experience that I had when I went elk hunting and just change the species that I'm chasing, I'll do right. it all day long because I, I totally get what you're, you're getting at. I haven't killed an elk yet, but I know the feeling of what it's like to have an elk at 70 yards in front of me screaming and just oh, didn't come together. So. Yeah. Well, and you know, it, it also depends on where you're from. I mean, you're from the East coast. Like I said, you have the opportunity to harvest probably a couple deer a year, mm-hmm. Arizona or some of these Southern, or, you know, the Southwestern or Western States, you know, you get one tag in Arizona, there's no doe tags. And in some cases you have five or six days to get your hunt done. Right. So you got to make sure that you've done all your homework. You, you know, it, it's in the hunter's best interest just to make sure that you do your homework, um, do your preparation, because when you get out there, you may not have, you know, Oh, if I don't get it done this weekend, I can go out the next couple of weekends, you know, while season gun season still open or archery season still open. So I think when you talk about age class and, and size class of deer, you know, out here in the desert, definitely, you know, a lot of hunters kind of, you get one chance a year. So they go out with that mentality of like, take whatever I can get. And I'm, I'm not a kind of guy that's going to shame somebody for shooting a spike. You know, I, I won't shoot a spike, but you know, I don't, I don't like to play that game of, of, of um, animal shaming. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I completely agree. Yep. I mean, myself it, here, here's my opinion on this whole situation. Let's touch on that real quick. So as, and this is what, one of the things that I think is the biggest downfall in the hunting community is everything is like it's it's my way so like i identify as a saddle hunter or a western hunter or hunter x well that's not the case we're all hunters so as long as it's done in a lethal or legal ethical way i'm all for it if you want to shoot a spike shoot a spike if you want to target 180 inch class whitetails do that but we're all in it together we have enough stuff going against us as hunters that we don't need to be fighting each other yeah, I agree. And, and just talking about the community coming together, one of the things that happened in Arizona recently was that the, the legislate, Arizona legislators just passed, the game commission just passed, um, they just outlawed trail cams. all trail cameras starting January 1st. Now, doesn't matter if you're, uh, if you're pro or con, that was one thing where the community could have came together a whole lot better and advocated for each other right yep um because just and this might be a little bit off topic but it, it just talking about the community maybe you don't like using trail cameras or you don't think it's ethical but it what about if they come for something that you do care about you would hope that everybody rallies behind you in that case you know so I, it's hard to say because i mean there's some states where you can't use lighted knocks there's some states where you can't put a, any electronic devices on your on your firearm or your bow um for various reasons so you know it seems like it seems like some some states are starting to take go after certain things that we really hold dear like for instance california there's no big big cat hunting at all it's outlawed yeah and the, there's a lobbyist that brought, came to arizona and tried that um, you know, over the last five or 10 years. And it was scary how close they got to, you know, banning big cat hunting in Arizona. 
Um, but those are just a few of the issues and that may be a little bit of a tangent, but <clears throat> no, that's good. That's a good tangent because, uh, I think a lot of this, it needs to be talked about more. I mean, Colorado, you, one of the probably highest densities for, uh, non-resident elk hunters, right? Right. How many people supported as a non-resident? I, I know I didn't, so I screwed up there, but I didn't write any legislator in Colorado about bringing in wolves. They right. got that passed and I'm a hunter. I may hunt Colorado at some point. I dropped the ball and you're exactly right. It, 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 it didn't affect me, but it could have, and it could have been worse. It could, it could be a situation and I would want somebody if a right that I wanted done. Like for example, we don't have Sunday hunting here in Pennsylvania. I want every hunter across the country to sign petitions to get Sunday hunting legalized in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that, um, I was hunting Virginia quite a bit too, when they had similar, similar, uh, commission laws where you couldn't hunt on Sundays. And I think if the whole state isn't eligible to hunt on Sundays now, it's at least a good majority of the counties, I believe. But I'll tell you, man, I miss tree stand hunting. Um, I, it was 2013 when I transitioned from the East coast back to my home state of Arizona. Um, and that's where I really picked up a rifle, started learning about, you know, medium to long range hunting. Um, what does that classify as? Well, it, it, to every shooter, it's different. I mean, to up until that point, you know, the longest shot I ever took it to have taken was, you know, 70 yards, which was my first, my first doe kill, but everything was like 40, 50 yards or in. So now <clears throat> I come out to Arizona. The only thing, the only hunting gear I have to my name is my bow, a good pair of boots, um, maybe like a small day pack and a rangefinder, right? Mm -hmm. And I get out here and I'm trying to hunt these big mountain ranges, these big desert landscapes. Um, and I'm like, man, I'm very ill prepared. I don't have good glass. Um, you know, spotting and, uh, scouting out here is, is a big, a big way to hunt, getting up high on a knoll or a knob or a ridge and glassing into fields, glassing on the mountainsides. It's a, it's a patience game. So it's something I wasn't used to. So, um, learn that pretty quick. Um, I would say that was, that's to your, to your question a while ago about one thing that, you know, I struggled with at first you know, I had to learn this lifetime of hunting in just a year or two. And I could tell you that now really good at reading like the terrain and where I think deer are going to be because coos deer, which we have down here in Arizona, which is just a subspecies is the whitetail. Um, they're a wily little deer, man. They're a lot of fun too. I, I hope you have the opportunity to come down and the opportunity for you to come stay with me is always open. But, um, it's just so interesting because they don't behave like Easterns, you know, in most of the, in most of the places. So mm, it's, they're on the list. They're on the, they're on the checklist for me to hit. So I might take you up on that. Perfect. So as, as you were starting to develop your skills, um, on Western hunting, were there certain things that you feel like transitioned over that you learned? Cause one of the big things I try to drive home is developing your field craft you develop your field craft, all that other stuff kind of really falls into place after that. And I'm assuming that you pretty much had that foundation 
uh, kind of laid out, correct? I did. I did. I, I built it while I was on the East Coast. And, and like you said, it, it transitioned over even going from species to species. I mean, there's nuances that you change. Maybe the calling is different or, you know, the time of year that you're hunting. But once you build that fundamental base, that foundation, I think, you know, you, you can be successful and, and surprise yourself, I think, in many cases, um, how successful you can be when you hunt outside of your comfort zone. Excellent. All right. Excellent. I was hoping that you weren't going to uh, say I was full of crap. So that's <laughs> no, a lot of things transitioned over, man. I mean, preparation for the hunt, like gear you pack, you know, preparing for the elements. Those are all basic things that that really do transcend, you know, various hunting, various states and stuff like that. And there's so many resources online now that you can try to fill that, you know, fill the voids in as best you can before you get out there. Um, you know, I followed the go hunt guys, Epic outdoor guys. They do, they, um, follow Serviceide. There's just so many forums now where I receive a lot of good information and new, new ways to skin a cat. And, uh, you know, so I'm still always building my arsenal, even as we speak. I mean, I, you were talking about hit lists. I mean, I have so many to-do lists and, and, you know, I'm already 40. So, <laughs> you know, it's time to start making these sort of things happen. You touched on out of state hunting. I know the guys in Utah and Colorado are going to hate me saying this, but man, going out of state on over the counter tag, whether it be bear or antelope or elk or deer, it's not impossible. And I always say this, it's, it's not a rich man's game. If, if you prepare put some money away for, you know, that could be a reality within one to three years. I mean, we're going to go down a rabbit hole here, but I want to keep it brief. So just as kind of piggybacking off of what you said, if you're in the mindset of wanting to do an out-of-state hunt, do it now because you look at potentially the prices of what out-of-state hunts cost now. Imagine what they're going to cost when you finally get the nerve to go do it in 10 years. Well, not only that, Torin, just in the last five years, we've seen a few state states take o OTC tags off, off the website. Yep. Wisconsin's one. I mean, I can't. Uh, Didn't Arizona reduce their um, non-resident tags? Well, so you can still get non-resident OTC tags for deer, mm -hmm. for bear. There's a couple species that you can. But we recently saw a moratorium where they, this year, the regs came out and they cut out certain units in certain time of the year. So they definitely cut back. Now, elk is interesting because in Arizona, they do have some over-the-counter opportunities, but it's in very low density areas where there's only maybe a herd or two and, and they just don't want them there. So, um, but I did read on a forum the other day that Colorado, there, there's like whispers in the state of Colorado that OTC may be going away or severely limited in their future. So, you know, guys and gals, if you're out there, you know, start planning, you know, for the next year or two to try to get out there. I mean, like I said, the tags in, in the, on the low side, I think your tags are going to run you about five fifty to $700 on the high side. There's some States that charge about $1,200, um, for your out of state tags. Plus you got to take into account your travel fees and, and stuff like that, food and supplies. But, you know, it, it, it doesn't, I don't think it, it's not five or $10,000 to do this, these sort of hunts. Right. You know, it can yeah. be a reality if you, you know, if you plan for it. Right. Yep. Yep. So I want to transition here. Um, we kind of talked hunting a little bit, but I want to, I want to transition over to Tacticam and I'd like to talk about how 
uh, your journey went with that, how you got into the outdoor industry and kind of what you do as the brand manager there at, at Tacticamp. Yeah, it was, it was really kind of luck, to be honest with you. Um, when I drew that elk tag in 2017, I knew that I wanted to film it. And I, and I was surfing the web, just trying to figure out what camera I was going to go with. And um, Tacticam came across, bought my first 4.0 camera, got proficient with it, you know, mounted it, took it out to the hunt. And I recorded an excellent footage of that bull screaming. And then I shot him at about 30 yards. And I submitted that video to Tacticam. And then I got a phone call saying, hey, would you care if we use that video? Would, would you like to be on the, the, our ambassador team? And I really wasn't familiar with what that was all about. So I got with the, I got with the program, um, you know, definitely stayed very involved, um, very eager to, you know, help the company out. And then over time, it led to an unemployment opportunity. Now, I don't think that that's a very typical scenario, but I mean, it can happen. It can happen. There's a lot, you know, of course there's a lot of stigma with like the pro staff thing and the ambassador thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I found is that I would, I would work trade shows for Tacticam. I would work, um, nonprofit organization, uh, banquets and stuff like, um, you know, NWTF, Rocky Mountain Elk and stuff like that. The biggest value to me was just networking, Mm -hmm. right? Having the opportunity Mm -hmm. to be here with this company, you know, advocating for, you know, on their behalf, but also making these connections with people. And that's part of like the whole learning process and, you know, guys trading information and saying, Hey, Oh, you live in Arizona. Cool. You know, I live here, come up and hunt, you know, waterfowl this year. And then we'll plan for a deer hunt later. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible how, once you make those connections, like opportunities start opening. Um, but yeah, so I got a call from the CEO and said that, you know, we have this new product line that's coming out and, you know, we're going to start Basically, it was the FTS, the film through scope system. Um, if you follow Tacticam's story, you know we're about nine years old, and um, you know we're a POV cam- camera company, so very short range filming. Well, when we introduced the FTS, which is the film through scope, you mount you mount the camera actually to the back of your scope. You're able to film through your scope. That opened opportunities for like Western hunting and that sort of thing. So, essentially, my role was to help bring that to market here but gotcha. you know now at this point you know my role whatever they need really <laughs> <laughs> jack of all trades jack of all trades yeah you know do a lot of things so but that's that's my story that's how i got into the industry you know i don't think any hunter out there is without passion but you know i just i stuck with it i was very loyal to the companies that i was representing um and worked pretty hard for them. Hold on, Torin. Give me one second. Yep. Yeah, but that was it. You know, um, my goal was never to pro staff for 40 companies, you know, just for discounts and stuff like that. You know, I picked a couple that I really believed in. And, um, you know, just, and in doing that, I also learned, um, some cool stuff about, you know, social media and posting and, you know, photography and a little bit of editing and stuff. So it really helped round me out in some places that I wasn't comfortable with earlier. Right. So, you know, um, 
talking with our team guys and our team leaders and stuff like that. It was a really cool opportunity. And, you know, now I do a little bit of editing for Tacticam. I'm not the prime editor, but, you know, I'll contribute some videos and clips and stuff like that. And, you know, now I work with social influencers and, and marketing partners and some of our, you know, military and law enforcement partners. And it's really fulfilling. It's a, it took me away from the federal government. I was working for social security at the time. And, um, it was, it was a tough bridge over to leave that safety net of the federal government. But my wife and I sat down one night and she was like, this is, this is everything that you've been dreaming about, dreaming about. And, you know, so far I've been with the company over two years in official capacity and I don't, I hope I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. And that's a really cool story. Uh, and super, super unique, but I want to rewind here a little bit. So when you decided in 2017 to go on that elk hunt, how much filming experience did you have at the time? Um, a little bit, you know, back when I started, um, hunting in 11 or 12, you know, I had a Sony Handycam. I think I had a gorilla tree arm and I was just trying to dabble into, to hunt, you know, hunting and filming, mm-hmm. um, just kind of when it was starting to take off, mm-hmm. I put out a couple videos and stuff, but I could tell you Torin, that at the time I was like, man, it's really, it, it's really difficult. I just wish there was a better solution. And so finally, when I decided that I was going to try to film again, you know, I knew that I wanted something that was going to mount easily to my bow at the time. Um, and that's really what ultimately drove me towards a Tacticam system was, was just that it was a whole lot easier. You know, the last thing a hunter wants to do um, is have to worry about a ton of equipment or right. complicated equipment. Right. You know, animal walks out. I mean, already just out of the gate, you have a very small window of opportunity to assess the situation make a game plan, kill that animal. So what would you say if you had to describe your kind of like style of filming, if you will, like when you, when you put together a video or you're going out and filming, what are you capturing as Rudy Nunez? Like what, what shots are you getting? What are you putting together? I want to, I want to talk about that stuff here a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, now I run multiple cameras. So I run multiple wide angle cameras, uh, Tacticam 5.0 wides. Hold on, hold on. Start from, um, start from the beginning though. So like start from like what you started out filming and like the, the shots you were collecting and then we'll get to like where you're at now as far as well. What you're yeah. So basically I was running a, a Sony Handycam and, uh, it was just kill shot stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so as I, I put the camera down for quite a while, picked it back up, I, I kind of wanted to, I think one of the hardest things to do as a videographer, as a filmer, as an editor is to actually capture the essence and tell the story, right? Cause I think, exactly. I think now in the industry, when people are consuming content now, I think we're kind of going, people are starting to kind of go away from just the kill shot, kill shot, kill 100%. shot. 100%. Yep. And they're, and, and I think people are now starving for, or not starving, but looking for to tell a story, to relate to the people, probably why the guys from the hunting public and born and raised and all these, all these big time influencers that people are just, you know, love to follow is because they have a way to, to make you feel their pain, make you feel their happiness. So that's what I try to do now. Do I do it effectively? Oh man, I can always get better. <laughs> um, and I have about a terabyte of footage of stuff that I collect because I know the shots that I want. I know the, you know, the sun coming up in the morning, the fog over the lake or, you know, the river, the waterfall running, you know, but putting it together on the back end is really where it gets, gets pretty tricky and pretty difficult. But as a producer, a very small time producer, that's what I hope to start transitioning to is, is trying to capture that essence, trying to capture, um, you know, the feel of the hunt, 
And if you get a good impact shot in there, you know, and, and, uh, and you could do it, you know, with some class, show it with some class, you know, that that's always a bonus. So I literally just watched a video from one of the service side field staffers that was using a Tacticam wide and the 5.0. He had the 5.0 mounted on a shotgun and he had the wide mounted on his shoulder. And literally all it was, was him shooting over, uh, a swamp with ducks coming in. I think they were in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And it literally felt like I was in the blind with him. And right. I mean, he didn't he didn't put together a whole lot of like editing and stuff like that, but it literally felt with those two different angles of how he how he spliced them together that I was sitting in the blind with him. And to me, that was some of the best stuff that I saw just innately i don't even know if that's the correct word just just slap together if you will <clears throat> with with hardly and i'm not i'm not i'm not bashing him or anything like this because like he did a really good job but so easy to put together and it made me feel that way so ultimately what i'm getting at is with your guys's systems and your offerings how much easier, and this is what I want you to talk about, how much easier is it to put that kind of footage together? And then can you talk about various scenarios of, of how to put that stuff together as far as like going about and collecting content? Because I think that's one of the things that I know I get asked a lot about is, all right, how am I going to implement these tools? Yeah, so <clears throat> at Tacticam, I mean, one of our, one of the things we love the most is is sharing angles, right? Getting diff, getting various angles because it really puts the viewer, you know, there with you in the stand or on the hunt. Um, so I run now coming full circle. I run multiple wide angles, um, like you said, a shoulder cam or on my bow. I have my 5.0 pointing forward, and then I have my 5.0 wide pointing back. And really all that does is that really, that does help to tell the story. So, you know, when you go into post-production, you can get, you can use those cameras for either like self interviews, you know, when, you, Hey guys, we're just, just in the stand It's six in the morning, got a Southeast wind, whatever. And then not only that, you get the reaction to the shot, or let's just say you have a wide angle down on the feeder or the water hole. And, you know, with our remote system, you're able to turn up to five cameras on at one time get that animal walking in, maybe get a pass through or, you know, whatever the case may be. It, it just helps build depth or layers to your production. So if we're talking strictly from a producer standpoint, I think those are very interesting, you know, very important. Um, I think, you know, running one main camera with maybe your cell phone and stuff, you know, it's doable. But like, like I said, once that animal starts walking in, you lose your hands. Why? You have one on your riser, you have one on your release. You know, not a lot of options if you don't have a cameraman with you. Right. So well done on that guy on your team member that that got that footage, you know, and, and suppose he had one more um, 5.0 wide down by the decoys, you know, filming up or something. I mean, how incredible would that have been? Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, that's the other cool thing. And like I, I was telling Rob about this uh, is you're limited to your imagination with these cameras. 
And so, for example, I was hunting yesterday and I was doing a spot and stalk hunt. This, this location, it's, it's a, it's a large track of grasslands and I had a buck that I was working on for probably at least 45 minutes, make five scrapes and like four rubs ended up getting, uh, within, he got to 37 yards. I ranged him wrong and blew the shot, but that story would have been impossible to tell with a camera. Like if I was trying to self film it. Right. But I could have very easily told that story with simply just a wide had I had both. I mean, without a doubt, I could have told that story, but for me, I'm, I'm less of a person that really wants to showcase like the storytelling of things. What I want to do is, and I think this is absolutely great for people that are getting into this kind of same thing. If you're trying to deliver educational content, Mm -hmm. it's an absolute no brainer. Run, right. Run the wide and run the 5.0 and that's all you need. And you can correct, you can put together great content showing other hunters how to be successful and giving back to the hunting community. Well, and, and most of us aren't running, you know, if maybe you have a hunt buddy with you, but most of us don't have a camera guy following you or camera right. guy following you. Um, so having lightweight, high resolution, highly functional cameras to, to help you do that. I mean, really it's a system. Exactly. Right? It's a tax cam system. And like I said earlier, running five, five cameras off of one remote, um, strategically really, really just it's a force multiplier. So content creators out there, um, you know, I I know you heard Rob's, um, experiences I've had very similar. Um, I even, I even use the same setup for like Western hunting. Right. So I have one wide on my, uh, just like the setup I told you a minute ago, but I also keep one like on a little 36 inch tripod, a very lightweight Vanguard. So what, you know, what I can do is like when I get down for the shot, I just, all I have to do is set up that wide angle, just pointed back at me to get mm-hmm. like, um, like a wide scenic shot of what we're doing. And, um, it, it just couldn't be easier. I, I filmed my daughter's first, she was 16. I feel, I filmed her first mule deer hunt and, um, man, I watched that video 500 times just because I love seeing her reaction and us hugging after the shot and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And it was very, it was a very impactful piece. Tacticam shared it. And, and as of last year, it had like 50, 60,000 views or, or more. And um, just because that's the kind of stuff that people are looking for. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want to talk about like, not, not to jump around, but uh, we're going to roll with it anyway. So sticking on the Western side of things, because I think that's something that not a lot of people are really um, considering. How would you go about putting together your offerings for a Western system? Now, let, let's let's walk through the gamut, okay? So let's talk elk hunting, and then let's talk mule deer hunting, let's talk pronghorn hunting, that whole whole deal. Yeah, so it, it, and your, your setups are going to be a little bit different for your archery versus your rifle hunting. However, the cool thing is most of those components switch over like the 5.0 camera. You can take it right out of your bow and you can drop it right in your FTS on your rifle. So it's very compatible first of all, but 
So for elk, let's just say I'm doing rifle deer, rifle elk, rifle pronghorn. I'm going to have an FTS set up on my scope. I'm going to have at least my shoulder mount. And I'm, and if I don't have a 5.0 wide mounted to my scope pointing back at me, I'll have it on the tripod. Just with those three cameras, you, I could do a full production from start to finish. Um, you know, a full production video um, might incorporate some cell phone footage in there or something, but I would say that that would be the basics. And then if you, if you run optics, um, one thing we haven't talked about yet though is the spotter LR. Now the spotter LR is our 4k um, spotting scope camera um, weighs just a little over 10 ounces. I think um, has a flip up LCD screen um, has digital zoom on it. Um, so you can add to your spotting scope or, or your binos um, you know, extra magnification. And so essentially what I do, I hunt with a, with a, with a buddy of mine and, you know, he'll get down on the rifle and he's ready to shoot. And I'm setting up the spotter LR to get the impact shot downrange. And we've, we've done that twice now because spotter LR has only been out. This is its second hunting season. So it really adds a great element to, you know, long range hunting or I say long range, but I mean, you know, rifle hunting, anything over, you know, 200 yards. Does the, uh, does the spotter LR work at all with, um, like a phone system or is it, is it completely just its own like self-functioning system? So I think I, I just want to basically like clear this. So viewers that maybe don't, or our audience that doesn't know about it, um, it's not like a phone scope, correct? No, it, it's an independent unit. It's it, its own okay. camera. Right. And so the, there's a few benefits to that because it uses its own micro SD card, right? So you, it, so you can use up to 128 gigabyte micro SD. So tons of memory. Plus it uses the same batteries that your Tacticam 5.0s and your Solos and your 4.0s work. So that, you know, the, the cool thing about it is, you know, battery life is always an issue with phone when you're using a phone adapter memory is always an issue when you're using a phone. Um, so you can swap those batteries out real quick. Now, the thing that you can do is it still have a, it still has Wi-Fi. So if you're familiar with the 5.0 system, we have an app, you have a Wi-Fi, it creates its own Wi-Fi signal and you can match them up. So you can, you can actually watch that image on your phone or on a tablet or Android device. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, you can download it right there from the field to your phone and blast it out, you know, so it, it's very, very user-friendly. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, I know that I was looking at the, the LR in the past and like, I, I was just thinking my situation yesterday when, uh, I was on that spot in stall hunt and I mean, I had bucks chasing does. Now they were 150 yards away, but collecting that footage would have been perfect. Throw that on my, on my binos. I have all that stuff telling the story. And then, I mean, that buck making the scrape could have used that. So there are situations on the East coast where what seems like something that's not very applicable for whitetail hunting fits in great guys that are collecting. And let's say you're hunting a, a particular buck, right? And you're doing your summer scouting, hooking it up to your binos in the truck, uh, collecting some footage there. If you're going to tell a long term story. So 
Well, and a few notes. First of all, full disclosure, we designed it for spotting scopes specifically. It's not designed for binos, but there are some um, models out there that the small, the, so the spotter LR comes with seven sizing shims. That will allow the unit to be put on a multitude of spotting scopes. There are some binos, <clears throat> pardon me, that have a big enough eyepiece um, or with a little bit of modification that you can make it fit really good. So um, how big of know, an objective have... does it fit on? What are, what are the shims objective size? Do you know off the top of your head? I don't have a box in my hand torn, but if you have a way to put that out, uh, you... I'll get that information to you. Yeah, I can get that. I'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Yep. We'll put that in the show notes. <clears throat> um, but here's the thing, like it doesn't, if you're in, if you're hunting Southern States, you don't have to be in Montana to enjoy the spotter LR. We have a lot of producers who are now using it. How many times have you been in the truck? You're driving, it's either morning, evening, you see a big buck in a bean field exactly. and you try to get your cell phone out and to film it, but it's 200 yards away. It just doesn't do it justice. I mean, you know, with a spotting scope set up, a spotter LR and like a window adapter, I mean, you can get excellent, excellent footage, um, you know, whether it's in scouting capacity or to add to your productions, you know, on the back end, you know, it's just filler B-roll, but high quality content you know, that's, that's something that could be very useful to you. We got uh, guys and gals that are using it when they're scouting Turkey, cause they don't want to be out in the field, disturbing game. Um, it really is, you know, a lot of people in the Southern state hunt like cutover where you could have a shot out to 300 yards, you know, in Alabama, Georgia, other States like that, you know, where if you are in a shooting box or something, you can have one set up right on a tripod, ready to go. As soon as the animal comes out, you turn it on, you're filming in 4k at, you know, anywhere between 20 to 60 power, which is basically just turns your spotting scope or your optic into like a, a video camera. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. No. And the LR itself, it, when it detaches, it could be used as a 4K camera on its own, right? With up to 3X zoom, which is really cool. So like, I, I don't, I have no issues just popping it off, turning the screen around and filming myself, you know, if I need to do a commentary or a quick, you know, interview or something like that. It really is a diverse camera. That's awesome. So, uh, one of the things I also want to talk about too is, uh, potentially, cause I know I'll get hassled about this and we're getting close to, uh, our time limit, but I got to talk the trail cameras cause everybody's been asking me. So, uh, what is, uh, what are some of the product features? Let, let's let the listeners basically know about the trail cameras and how you guys are, are crushing it with the cellular cameras and when they potentially are going to be available again. Yeah. So the reveal, man, our, our owner will tell you that he didn't want to get into that, that, that market, but we did. Um, what we wanted to do was offer a high end trail camera with loaded with features for a very, very affordable price. And I think correct. I'll have to check, double check, but I think our original reveal came in at like 119. That's right. And the one we're currently running right now, the reveal X, you know, it's coming in at 139 for a cellular tram, uh, camera with, with that many features, you know, 24 megapixel video, um, HD on request, um, you know, plans that start out at five, $5 a month. Um, you know, that's a really good price point. So we had no idea it was going to get this crazy. So anybody who out there right now, who's looking for a reveal, 
sincere apologies, man. I mean, we are, as soon as we get them in the warehouse, they're like shipped out the next day. Um, so I, I do think that right now we're ready to do another big push into like um, big box stores. Um, I think if your local mom pops as a dealer or a retailer, you prefer to kind of small, you know, shop at the smaller, smaller guys and gals, you know, I think they should be getting restocked here soon. So I would say probably before main hunting season hits, um, here in the next month or so, um, we should be seeing, uh, reveals hit, hit, hit the box stores again. Excellent. Excellent. Cause so I had probably at least 15 people reach out to me and say, cause they knew the podcast was coming up. They were like, Hey, make sure you ask Rudy about, uh, what's going on with the, the cell cam. So I had to ask, but, um, well, it, so if you, like, if you're just going on like website and you're just shopping like the big box stores, like Cabela Shields, which they should be in stock here very soon. Um, you know, at, at the height of the shortage, I remember I walked into my local sportsman who doesn't do online sales and they had like six reveals just sitting there. I was like, well, okay, I'll pick up one or two of these. So they're out there. They really are out there. You can find them. You just got to, and find if you them. go to tacticam.com, you can look at, a, you can, you can see the list of our retailers. Okay. Okay. Uh, with a map. Um, so if you find out if there's any, any local retailers next to, uh, near you, give them a call, see what they got. All right. Well, thank you, uh, for that Tacticam update. I know that, that, uh, or not the Tacticam update, the cell cam update, uh, but as far as information and where the audience can find out more products, I'm sorry, let me collect my thoughts here. We'll edit that out. <clears throat> so Rudy, do you have any uh, closing thoughts? I know we got a, a time limit here and we're getting close to an hour. Is there anything else you really want to touch on before we wrap up? You know, <clears throat> what we're trying to do in the industry as a company, we're trying to be a one-stop shop. So you, so the name Tactinet Cam is synonymous with a variety of hunting, a variety of services, a variety of products. Um, I don't know if you and Rob talked about it, but I just, I just want your listeners to know that Tacticam, we are very, we are highly vested into hunters and sportsmen and shooters and, and every, every aspect of the industry, um, just in 2019 alone. And a lot of people don't know this because we don't overtly market this, but you know, we helped raise half a million dollars for the NWTF alone. That's all, that all goes to conservation. So if you go to like your local RMEF, your local mule deer, mule deer foundation, or, you know, quails forever, or pheasant forever, there's a chance that you may see a tact cam gal or girl working there. Um, we just want all the hunters to know out there, you know, we support you guys. We love what you guys are doing. Um, at the end of the day, we want you to be able to capture those memories, capture the, you know, those experiences and be able to share them, especially for the content producers out here there who are listening as well. You know, we want a system that's going to make it easy for you to take the guesswork out of it. Um, you know, everything's covered with a two year warranty. Um, right now, you know, we just, we're going to be, we're going to support you from the beginning to the end, from, from the time that you, you know, make the decision to invest in one of our products until, you know, after the hunt is over. That's, that's our promise. So. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I've been working with Rob a lot and 
the the customer service there has been phenomenal. We are looking to run another webinar back where you'll be able to ask questions about how to collect footage, how to run uh, the Tacticam system for various setups. Uh, and like I said earlier, a lot of this all is the limitations are your imagination. So keep that in mind and be creative. But Rudy, where can the listeners find more information on Tacticam, um, any instructional stuff on uh, collecting footage, getting shots, stuff like that? I, like I said, we're going to cover that again with the webinar because it was so popular and people were asking us to run it back. Um, but do you guys have any resources there? Or, or where would you send them? Yeah, so uh, uh, tons of resources, lots of video content. Um, Tacticam.com, guys, if you go to our video section, I, I think there's, I believe there's a link to our Vimeo archive. Um, YouTube, we have tons of, tons of stuff that we've organically produced, that partners have produced, that your normal everyday users have produced, how-to videos, especially our web, I mean, our um our social media. So Tacticam, uh, Tacticam Facebook, um, we have a ton of videos and I think they're categorized by like predators, bears, turkey, deer, Western, um, you know, so you can go and find the kind of hunts that ap apply to you and go, you know, either get inside or, or get some, uh, we also have Tacticam user groups. I wanted to mention that too, where, you know, you're able to get on there and ask questions or submit content or whatever the case may be. And we do have, you know, a lot of our um, support techs that follow that page that kind of give real, real time advice or, or technical support on the website. So we have a really, really robust community. Awesome. We hope to grow it in server side too. You know, when, once you guys start running this stuff, I mean, you're going to become basically prop, um, product mat, uh, matter experts. And um, we'll know you, we know you, it won't be long till you guys are getting in those conversations too. We really look forward to it. And then we want your team to know that, you know, Rob and I, we're available. You know, if anybody wants to reach out to us, you know, we could put our, our information in the show notes. Um, you know, we, we keep ourselves available. I'm very active on the Facebook pages. I know um, our, our CEO gets on Facebook and is always answering people and, you know, liking people's content and giving his suggestions and engaging with everybody, Jeff Peel. So, I mean, it just, it's a cool company to work for, man. I'm really proud of of working with them and um, we're really excited about being partnered with the service side network as well yeah we're excited about this partnership as well and uh, I, i'm already seeing the footage coming in and it, it's it's great it's it's making the lives of our members better as far as collecting the footage and the footage is coming out which makes the footage is coming out great which makes me happy so uh we're just going to keep on improving and and providing more and more assets for the members to develop those skills, but I will have all the contacts and information for what Rudy just mentioned. Was that a Facebook group that you mentioned about the user group? Yeah, there's the Tacticam user group, and then there's a Spotter LR and FTS user group. Um, they got great followings. It's a place to post content, especially for you producers out there. Um, you know, our fans really love that stuff. And then we as a marketing team, if we see stuff that we really like too, we sometimes we further request, hey, can we share that on our main uh, 
social media networks, which I think right now combined between Facebook and Instagram, we have over 200,000 or just, just, just shy of 200,000 followers. And they just love that short, meaningful, high impact, you know, content. So nice. Yeah. And there may or may not be uh, a giveaway coming. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But like giveaway I, video challenges. Yeah. We, we definitely want to get really involved with you guys and, um, and just, just really expand our horizons together. So absolutely. So keep your eyes out for that. I'll have all of Tacticam's information in the show notes for you to hop on their various channels. Thank you everybody for tuning in to the whitetail theories podcast. And thanks Rudy for hopping on. I appreciate it guys. Thank you.